Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 73 movies and one cage. This is episode 16, Firebirds from 1990. I'm Mike Manzi. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And this movie really doesn't have a plot. Yeah. The plot is sort of best summed up as drug cartels question mark they're bad <laughs> yeah well it has the the opening crawl which is like a quote from george bush senior when he was president yeah and and it's basically about this quote where he says um we will lend our armed forces to any nation that requires them as long as it's to fight the war on drugs so this movie takes place when they're helping south america out fighting the war on drugs. So the movie is barely 80 minutes long. The credits start rolling at an hour 20, and there's like a three-minute opening credit. Like, it's, it's, it's tight to almost not being like feature length. But for the first hour of it, it's basically just training. The help that they lend in this movie is very, very, very last minute. Yeah, well, the whole movie seems to be the training exercise. Uh, so I guess and when it opens up, we find Nick Cage is a helicopter pilot, yes. which is pretty cool. And they're in the middle of a mission, but actually he's in the middle of a deposition of some type. He seems like he's testifying he's or something. testifying about the mission we're watching because it goes completely foobar. Um, yeah. <laughs> these helicopter pilots are helping out the South American forces to hunt the cartel, and the cartel has their own bad boy chopper pilot that just obliterates the, uh, the American forces, and Cage is the only survivor of that attack. So the rest of the movie is him sort of training in an elite group of Apache fighters to go back down there and wipe the floor with the whole cartel. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it was about the movie. Maybe it was just the DVD cover, but I thought this was going to be another, like, period piece. And so when I found out that it was modern day at the time, you know, George Bush era, late 80s, early 90s, I was sort of surprised. But it's kind of cool. Like, we haven't really had a modern cage war movie and he's kind of badass as a helicopter pilot, Jake Preston. Yeah, he, he plays like the super cocksure, you know, <laughs> arrogant, but like um, he can be arrogant because he is the best kind of guy. You know, he's totally like yeah. the maverick of the movie. This movie wants to be Top Gun so bad, <laughs> speaking of maverick, that Cage has his hair dyed jet black. There's one shot in particular about midway through the movie where they're walking and he just looks like Tom Cruise. Like, I feel like everything about this movie, like in terms of the production design... And the costuming and hair and makeup, they're like, all right, let's just make this look like Top Gun and maybe people get confused. Yeah, it's like Top Gun with helicopters, but just not nearly as cool. Like, it's just, like, not shot nearly as well. There's there's really no dramatic tension. <laughs> there's, like, absolutely, there's hardly an A story, let alone, like, a B story. You know, there just isn't plot there. I don't know. This movie just feels, like, incredibly thin compared to lots of other movies. And I guess instead of having a potentially homosexual attraction between Maverick and Goose. It's really kind of the the love story if it's not Cage and Billy, which is the girl in this movie. If it's not Cage and Billy, it's like Cage and the helicopter. Like he seems like he's in love with this helicopter. At one point a little bit later in the movie he says that he would marry that thing. Until Billy shows up in the movie it really seems like this is, like, the love of his life. Yeah, there'll, there'll be references to, like, helicopters and cars being similar and stuff. And, like, he treats, you know, this is like a, a guy in his car. It's like a guy in his chopper. 
It's beautiful in an ugly kind of way. Somebody called it a flying race car with guns, but that's bullshit. It's not that simple. Like, that's the way I saw it, you know? Like, just like a man and his baby. It's interesting. Like, <laughs> until, you know, Sean Young, who plays Billy, shows up, I'm thinking there is no love interest. This is just going to yeah. be, you know, we're going to break the chain, and uh, he's just going to be on his own in this film. I feel like that's probably a relationship or a feeling that a lot of pilots have toward their plane because i mean like it, it really is their life i agree i was hoping that i was going to be just him in the plane and then all of a sudden billy shows up and it's like oh, okay now like okay, it's it's exactly what we thought it was going to be and i really don't understand their dynamic were they engaged or they were together at some point and then they broke up and he still loves her and it seems like she still loves him but like doesn't want to give in to him I was sort of a little confused by their exact dynamic in this. They play it incredibly coy for, like, the first, like, five or six scenes they have together, <laughs> you know? Like, it, it's almost like he sees the only girl in the army or in the helicopter school, so he's just going to relentlessly sort of stalk her and chase her. And then you kind of wonder if there... I was wondering, like, is there, like, a past between these two? And sure enough, like, from what I could gather, they were together, and she wanted to become a pilot, and he was sort of, like not having it and she left to pursue her career and like now they've sort of met unexpectedly on um like training for this mission okay (laughs) that that i guess that makes sense and that definitely comes back into play later when he really freaks out about when he finds out that she's going to go on this dangerous mission with them it is really weird like it's not a clear cut you know will they won't they on the base it's like this real muddled backstory for real no no benefit i don't think it just it's almost like unintentionally confusing yeah and like you said she's not incredibly adverse to him being around her exactly you know like she just needs him to sort of work for it (laughs) it's what it's like like she's not like that's what i mean is like there's no dramatic tension here like these two should be sort of at odds the entire movie it should jeopardize the mission and the training but like none of that happened there's this going on too like don't worry it'll work out by the end and there's no like rival pilot that also is vying yeah. for her affection yeah i knew that I, I was like that character's totally missing from this movie i guess that's what happens when you have literally five people attached to writing this script that three people came up with the story and then two more people wrote the screenplay like you have a whole bunch of ideas and they're like all right there's a guy who's really good at flying there's a girl he's in love with and they're going to stop the cartel. This movie, like, is almost like uh, the the producers stepped in and heard, like, oh, it's a helicopter movie where well, there has to be, like, this many shots of a helicopter. You know, there's not enough chopper. Like, more choppers. And you could sacrifice, you know, the love story, sacrifice, you know, the rival, sacrifice all that. You know, I just want to see helicopters. I <laughs> just well, get this whatever, what, image of, like, the end of of true romance when the producers like you see those helicopters up on screen you know every penny up on the oh, screen coming home in a body bag yeah right like every time i see a chopper film i think of that sequence but i don't know what's going on here <laughs> whatever the producers quota for choppers was they had to have passed it because most of this movie is just aerial shots people complained about the new season of true detective that there's too many aerial shots of the highways and like the roads in california if you had a problem with that like you're gonna have a major problem with this because there's so many just like choppers flying with no perspective of anything they might be using the same footage over and over again or they might not it feels like they just have 
hours of helicopter footage. <laughs> and they just want to use as much of it as they can. It's a great point. There's like no context for a lot of the shots because it's all sort of like so they're training in the desert and then their missions in the desert. So it all looks like it was sort of shot at the same time and just sort of spread out amongst the movie when they needed it. But yeah, it just becomes very repetitive and and you don't really get the relation uh, from one chopper to a next in a lot of like the quote-unquote action sequences. It's almost like they had the choppers for the entire shoot like at the base, but they were like, all right, we can take them up the air this one weekend, so you guys better get all the footage you need. Yeah. And they're like, all right, we're just going to film a whole lot in like slightly different looking places, and we'll just cut it in. There's a lot of scenes that are just the chopper and just sky, like with no trees or anything. Yeah. So it just, it, it, it's like a lot of fast, and it's actually kind of like, in terms of like action editing, it's actually pretty well done, I think. Like the, this movie is exciting at times, and there's a lot of fast cuts, but then you go from like one shot to the next, to the next, to the next, and they're all just external helicopter shots. It's like okay, like we we kind of get it. Yeah, it, it's funny because I you get tired of it and you're like, where is the drama? You know, it's like you start you start searching for other things that the movie doesn't have to offer. So it's a little unfortunate. Well, the main I guess drama of the first hour of the movie, there's really two conflicts aside from the romantic thing because the cartel. It's sort of in the movie, but it's not really what the movie's about. So amazing the way the movie treats, like, quote-unquote, the cartel, uh, because it, it, it considers, like, all of, like, the South American drug lords to be members of the, like, of of like one it, it just seemed like they were hunting like this one like they were after specter or hydra you know we're after yeah or, we're or after like the, or, the, or the syndicate right? yeah, or the syndicate it's like we're going after cartel because <laughs> there's one scene where they're like they're working in europe with the people from north korea like it's like this global network that's like one drug running company and it's just the cartel just refers to everybody and the leader of the cartel is sort of like Poor man's George Clooney. Did you get that? Like he sort of looks a little bit like George Clooney. I yeah, think. Yeah, they do the debrief, and it's the chopper pilot <laughs> from the beginning. The guy Stoller. Yeah. And he's like not only the best chopper pilot in this in South America, but he's also like part of the cartel. Is there to keep you know the Apache force away? And you're right. And they have these somehow they got these amazing pictures of him like holding an Uzi and like looking over his shoulder, and they got close up of just his eyes. And yeah, he kind of looks like Fat Clooney. He looks like Syriana Clooney. Like he's the film's main bad guy, and like we really know like nothing about him. Zero. We just know that he's part of the cartel, and like. You should know that's bad because the drugs that they sell come to America and end up in our schools, and that's why we have crackheads. So it's yeah. this guy's fault. He doesn't even have a single so gonna... line in the entire movie. No, he just sort of... I don't even know if he... Because at the very end, he does die. Cage does kill him. And I don't even know if he like cries out. He just sort of like... He, he dies in spectacular fashion, though. But I don't even know if he has like a death cry. You know what I mean? He just sort of gets like riddled with bullets, and then his chopper explodes. Yeah, he doesn't have time to, to scream out. <laughs> <laughs> but like aside from the cartel through line and the romantic subplot, the real only conflicts in this movie are Tommy Lee Jones, who is Cage's supervisor, superior, is having like a midlife crisis because he just turned 40 and like everything's downhill. I know you have things to say about that. <laughs> and number two, the other one is that Cage has left eye dominance. He needs to train his right eye to be stronger so that he can basically fly in the dark 
and be able to see what he's doing with a lens that's over his right eye. Which I feel like most of the movie could have been solved if they just put the lens over the other eye. (laughs) Yeah, they never checked to see which eye was the actual dominant eye in this movie. But yeah, that simulator sequence is like my favorite part of this movie. Gentlemen, this simulator will do anything the Apache will do. It will also do anything your enemy will do. Good, because I have a pocket full of quarters. Tommy Lee Jones as Brad Little, like his training instructor, is like amazing in this. I don't know if this is like one of his first films. It's definitely like right before The Fugitive and stuff, but he's he's like fully formed in this movie. You know what I mean? Like he's the Tommy Lee Jones we're going to see pretty much for the rest of his career. It's like into his career, but he's not like this is sort of, I guess, the beginning of him as a star because it, he then is in JFK. He's in The Fugitive. He's in Natural Born Killers. He's in, and then Batman Forever's not too far after this. Like, this is sort of just like Cage in a way. Like, the 90s were a huge decade for Tommy Lee Jones, and this is sort of his begin, or the beginning of his ascension into really sort of Hollywood superstardom. Like, his character's a really good character in this. Like, I'm glad he's in it, but I just felt like him and Cage just should not have gotten along. Like, that's the thing. Like, everyone just gets along really well in this movie, and it doesn't make for a very interesting story, you know? Sometimes it does, but this time it just didn't to me. I don't know. I mean, they can get along because they both have left-eye dominance? I heard that right, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, they... that comes out a little bit later. Like, Tommy Lee Jones is being really rough on Nick Cage, but he also is, like, really complimentary when he does a good job and stuff, you know? So, like, he doesn't reprimand him for his cockiness, like you might see in, like, Top Gun. You know, like, in Top Gun, like, Maverick's great, but he still gets in a lot of trouble because when he breaks the rules, they call him out on it or they're just up his ass because, you know, he's a cocky dude. And I just felt like Cage should have gotten in, like, a lot more trouble in this movie than he ever does, you know, even though they sort of end up really depending on him in the end. Well, I think that just goes back to the fact that there's really no conflict in this movie like that's a really easy way to add in conflict and add an interest and sort of pad it out a little bit to be a little bit longer than 80 minutes just that this hot shot young pilot isn't getting along with his superior who feels like he's over the hill but i feel like the only time they ever really have a conflict is after cage fails his first flying exam and then all of a sudden he just like finds tommy lee jones in a grocery store and says, I want to try it again. And Tommy Lee Jones is like, okay. <laughs> and like, that's, that's, the, that's the end of their conflict. Like, the conflict was, I don't know, two minutes on screen, and it was Cage not ready. But like, it has to be not ready. He, like, he can't be ready from the start, because otherwise this movie would be like 45 minutes long. It's almost the shortest possible time that the conflict in this movie could possibly be. Yeah, and then, like, it's a scene and a half of him training, and then he's, like, totally over his problem. Like, they do the Jeep test, and then they're back in the simulator. You know, they, like, wrap, like, the panties around his head with sort of the weird helmet so that he can see out of one eye. They do that whole sequence, and then they're, he's, he's, like, amazing right after that. Like, he's just, like, movie magic two scenes, any kind of conflict they could have stretched out for the next 10-15 minutes is just completely gone. And as he's doing that scene in the desert, like, this movie is filled with jokes and lines that feel like one of the five writers is like, hey, let's put this in the script, and they're like, alright, cool. It's it's a very, like, sort of bro movie, like, it's very sort of juvenile humor, but also, to be honest, as, as much as we're kind of trashing this, I haven't laughed this much very many times. Like, this movie is dumb, and very simple, but I think it's a lot of fun. 
I actually agree with you. You know, I did, <laughs> I did have a good time watching it, and I did, you know, get some genuine laughs out of it. And compared to everything else we watched, it's actually the lightest thing I think we've seen yet. You know, because he's done some really heavy stuff. Yeah, it almost feels P- it's PG thirteen, but it's seriously up until the very end, it almost feels like a like a PG family film that you could watch with your children. There's like one sort of sex scene, and then at the end, there's some gore, but it's quick. But I was actually pretty surprised that that this wasn't just a PG film. Yeah, you know, I was able to recognize its shortcomings, but I just couldn't help liking it. It's it's kind of charming in how dumb it is, mm-hmm. um, oh, in yeah. a weird way. I've uh, got a lot of, like, uh, i got some dumb problems with this movie. What brought this up is that when he's doing the training in the desert and he's got the red panties on his head, his buddy's just like, hey, I always thought you looked good in red panties. Like, it's like the most obvious and dumbest joke, but it's funny... Not because the line is funny, but just because how not funny it is. It's sincere. In a weird way. The whole movie is like really sincere. You know, they don't know how, you know, it's like a movie, you don't know how it's going to turn out. And you can tell they weren't aiming for for this level. I think they were trying to shoot a little higher, but I thought, you know, what they got was good. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, they're they're not snarky about it. Like they're... They do genuinely seem to like want to make a good movie. It's just kind of it's like there's just not enough happening for it to actually be a good movie. So I sort of have like a little theory about why this movie is so thin, I guess, or, or okay. you know, why it's sort of just bland. It almost feels, and I don't think it is, but it just kind of feels like maybe again with the producers or something that someone said, okay, I want to make a movie about like you know, I'm pro Bush, I'm pro DEA, I'm pro this whole thing. Like I want to make a movie that is like almost like a propaganda thing where it's like pro-army and what we're doing in South America, you know, ending the war on drugs, this whole thing. It's like it was huge. It was new. Like I want people to know about this. So it almost feels like people like assembled this film as like a piece of propaganda for America to sell to America, like come be an Apache pilot, come fight the war on drugs. And like all you're seeing is like what a good time it is. You know, there, there's, there's no bad, there's nothing bad happening because they don't want to portray that because they want you to come fight the South Americans. But. That might be true. I mean, like, really, what this movie basically says is, hey, if you're an Apache pilot, number one, you'll be flying a really awesome chopper. Number two, you'll have a really cool friend who, like, says all the funny jokes and just, it just totally gets you. Number three, your boss, he might be sort of tough on you sometimes, but he's a generally pretty good guy. Number four, you're totally going to get the girl. Number five, you're going to chew strawberry gum <laughs> and you're going to have the best time. It does portray, like, this idyllic life. Like, he's never really in danger. Like, even the final battle... The final battle's probably, I don't know, probably close to ten minutes. And for the first, like, five or six minutes of it, nobody on either side gets hurt. Like, they're just all flying around and, like, chasing one another. And then the first chopper to go down, the first aircraft to go down, is some unknown enemy who we don't even see who's flying it. Like, it's just, you and the people you know, for the most part, are all going to be safe. They're all, you're all going to be fine. The only people that are going to get hurt are the bad guys, and they're, they're the drug cartels, and they're ruining our streets, and so you want to hurt them anyway. Yeah, and I noticed even when people were getting, like, there was sort of a sneak attack that sort of jump-started everything, but after that, when, like you're saying, when people were getting, like, were crashing, like, Tommy Lee Jones crashes, but he doesn't die, you know? Like, choppers go down, but uh, people survive the crashes and things like that. Oh, yeah, there, she, she's even like, yeah, there's no fire, there was no explosion, <laughs> yeah. it's probably fine. It's like, no, that's not, like, choppers don't have, like, soft 
soft crashes into like rocky hills. Well, it also reminded me like the simulator sequence again. You know, it's like come to helicopter training in the army and you'll play the world's best video games ever. You know, like we've got PlayStation <laughs> ten years before it came out. That whole scene, he's just he's in a video game and he's like the best video game player in the world, and it's, he's just having a ball. And it's it's great. All right, check out the highway on your 3 o'clock for suspected enemy ground threat. I am the greatest. Go, Jake, go! All right, free game. I am the greatest. That pilot's good. Yes, he's good. He's very, very, very good. Ooh, I've played him before, but nothing like this. All right, so much for the warm-up, gentlemen. You now have air-to-air threat in your sector. I am the greatest. 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 Muscles on them. Smoke one fast mover. Shoot them. Blast them. Nab them. Grab them. Shake them. Bake them. Cook them. Clean them. Pose them. Boil them. Kick them. Nab them. Twist them. Run. Oh God. Bye bye. Yeah, he says, "I am the greatest" like ten times in a row. It's <laughs> and and he is the greatest. Like it's true. Like he never has a challenge that he really has to overcome. The one challenge he does have to overcome. He does in, like, ten minutes. And here's the thing about... uh, Here's my problem. They're in the simulator. After he's the greatest, and he gets, like, high score, and he puts in his name and everything like that, Tommy Lee Jones is like, yeah, man, let's kick it up a notch. Like, we're going rapid fire. And so he does the monocle test, which later becomes what they call the bag test, which is flying in complete darkness using only your targeting computer, sort of like Luke and the X-Wing fighters. Like, just use your targeting computer. That's where he finds out that he has, like, the eye problem, and he can't focus when he can only see through one eye. Now, my question is, wouldn't he have figured this out like years ago when he was training for his original pilot's license? Like, wouldn't this be a test? Or is this like a new state-of-the-art technology? It's never very clear, and it very much bothered me, because I'm like, how is he just finding this out now? Like, he's an amazing pilot. He's been on all these missions. Like, he should have been tested for this, like, years ago. When you're recruited to the military, when you join the military... You obviously undergo tests to make sure that you're qualified, that you have good enough vision to fly it. And I think, I really think, I mean, I don't know the specifics, but I'm pretty sure that the qualifications to be able to fly an Apache helicopter are probably really high. But at the same time, I don't know if necessarily you ever learn which of your eyes is stronger. Like, I'm assuming he has good vision. He never really has vision problems. He's just having a hard time. It's like, it's the most manufactured problem. Like, (laughs) having a hard time understanding the data that's coming through his right eye. Yeah, well, it's like when you... It's like um, you... It's it's like when you're a little kid and you're shooting cowboys and Indians. Well, she's saying, like, your eyes... you You prefer to look out of one eye over the other, so the way your brain interprets information will be different when one eye is closed, if it's not the dominant eye, and you might not see or... Your field of vision can be different. You'll be blurry. I was trying. There's so much exposition. She's like the exposition character. Like every time she's yeah. on screen, she's like, "I fly the scout helicopter. It emits a laser to map area." So you don't. <laughs> have to, it's just like what she. And then again with the eye thing, she's just like rifling off symptoms and stuff. But I don't know because it's such a coincidence that Tommy Lee Jones had it too. You know, and 
he got over it as well, but you would have thought that as soon as Nick Cage failed his first monocle test, that Timely Jones would have been like, well, he's got one eye open problem. Like, that's his problem. Like, I could fix him. Like, I had the same thing. Like, but no, he keeps it like a complete secret from this guy the whole time. Even, and except for like when you said, when Nick Cage comes to the supermarket and he's like, I got this eye problem, train me. And, and Timely Jones is like, all right. That just goes back to my point earlier that you would think that they'd be able to swap heads or like swap eyes on the helmet because it can't be altogether too uncommon if, like, the only two pilots in this movie that we've ever known of use this technology <laughs> both have the same problem. It would have been great if they were just like, you had your helmet on backwards the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think we should talk about Tommy Lee Jones, because this is basically, at least to me, it feels like No Country for Old Men, the prequel. Like, in that movie, it's all about how the world's moving too fast and he's too old. And in this movie, we literally have people running by him yeah. while he's jogging in the morning. We have him just sort of getting exasperated. Like, he is already old man Tommy Lee Jones, even though in this movie he's only 40 years old. That bothered me so much because, I mean, full disclosure, I'm four years away from 40. So it really bothered me to see people treated, treating 40-year-olds this way. And, uh, like, he's totally, maybe in the 90s, 40 was, like... Being was like 60 or something, but nowadays it's like nothing, you know? Like, look at guys like Hugh Jackman and people like that. Like, they're well over their 40s and they're ripped, you know? And they could totally take guys half their age and stuff. So right. I was really against the ageism in this movie. <laughs> it is just another example of just like sort of manufactured problems. Like, uh, like what could we do? What could he be? Okay, midlife crisis. Can't really get a new car because they're up in the air. But he just feels old. All right, yeah, cool, let's do that. And, and, like, it's the only thing... It just seems like everything is just sort of forced. Yeah, it's a non-issue. Like, it's a non-problem <laughs> of some kind. Isn't it? But it also is weird because if this is constructed as, like, propaganda, like army propaganda, what they're saying is, you know, we want young people to fight yeah. our fights, you know? Like, if you're 40, you're too old. Like, the army doesn't want you, you know? We're looking for teenagers and 20-year-olds and stuff like that. Maybe it was just one of those subliminal messages worked into the film. Another, like, really weird thing, another example of Tommy Lee Jones just getting a little bit too old is they're in the gym... And they're both, like, boxing. Like, Nick Cage is hitting like, a heavy bag. Tommy Lee Jones is hitting one of the, the hanging bags. So one of them challenges the other, and they, they, they sort of go to spar for a little bit, and Nick Cage knocks Tommy Lee Jones out. But then the next scene, he's, like, waking up in bed, and I was like, oh, is that a dream? Like, that was a weird dream. But then all of a sudden, his wife is like, what happened to your face? You're like, oh, it's, it wasn't a dream. That's just, like, it's just weird that they cut from, like, this sort of surreal scene... That doesn't really make sense within the context of the movie. Nick Cage just knocking out Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> and then the next scene, literally the next shot, is him waking up in bed and throwing the blankets off his, off his body like he's had a really bad nightmare. So I have an idea what might be going on here or what they were going for. Because <laughs> he comes into the scene and he's like, ah, I'm a young guy. Like He's worried about his age. So he's like boxing and he's training with the young recruits and stuff. And he's the guy who challenges... Nick Cage to buy because he's like you're keeping your guard down I could punch you if I wanted to like I was the champ in the 60s and all this okay yeah yeah and they go over there and Nick Cage just beats the crap out of him basically in like five punches and I yeah. think the implication is when they jump cut Tommy Lee Jones hitting the mat to him waking up in his bed I think the right. implication is Nick Cage knocked him into like the next day you know like he hit him so hard that like he was in a daze for the rest of that day and like he didn't really come back into consciousness until he woke up the next morning. <laughs> 
in. <laughs> He's feeling that it's age. Just, it's just so weird. Yeah, it was it was like a comical beat, you know. It, it was just another sort of I don't know. It was a weird jump because none, none of the rest of the movies trying to imply anything else was a dream or anything like that. But yeah, it was a weird jump cut. It was also like sort of jarring because as this movie went on, I was watching it like it was No Country, the prequel, and No Country ends with Tommy Lee Jones telling his wife about that dream he had. And the last line of the movie is, and then I woke up. And I'm like, wait, did he just have like a dream about Cage knocking him out and then he woke up? And then, no, it's, it's not a dream at all. He just got knocked into tomorrow, I guess, by Cage. And then he just wakes up and goes on with his life. Like, it's, it's not even... Like, he doesn't even get the, like, the satisfaction, or not even, like, the satisfaction, because that's the wrong word, but he doesn't even have, like, the, like, his life is already bad. Like, it's, in, no, in no country, he, like, sees a future in which he's, he's no longer relevant, but in this, he just wakes up, and he's already no longer relevant. Like, <laughs> he doesn't even have that time to wait to sort of decompress. He's just already, his worst fears are manifested. Yeah, and there's, like, the next scene immediately is, like, it, it, it sort of confirms that where he's walking up the steps and here comes Cage like doing like knee high running blowing by yeah him. all the way up the stairs like right by him and he they just have like a really quick exchange where he's like are we cool and Tommy Lee Jones is like yeah man we're cool so like it's just like I, I just took that as to be like Tommy Lee Jones is finally like all right you know maybe I can't keep up with that guy anymore i understand that's cool we could still be friends and you know we could still learn from each other (laughs) like i feel like this movie what this movie was missing is a couple scenes at home where tommy lee jones just talking to his wife about about feeling inadequate you know what i mean like he has the one scene right where he's eating the ice cream pop and he sort of has it there but like i feel like we don't know enough about tommy lee Lee jones's character because it's almost in a weird way and I hate to be keep bringing it back to No Country just because it seems lazy with Tommy Lee Jones, but, like, Tommy Lee Jones is basically the star of that movie, even though the person we follow around the most is Josh Brolin. And here, it seems like it could have been the same thing, you know what I mean? Like, Nicolas Cage is the guy with the most screen time, but it feels like the movie could almost be about Tommy Lee Jones, about this guy who's over the hill and trying to train this hotshot young pilot. And we just don't know enough about his character to really care about his journey. Yeah, you're right. Like, I felt like they should have given more of his scenes to Sean Young, you know, the Billy character or something like that, just because that storyline would have provided just more interesting plot developments and stuff like that. But you're right. There's just not enough context to put Tommy Lee Jones into throughout this movie because, yeah, we don't get a lot of backstory from him at all. Uh, It's just like we find out like he's training these guys, but he isn't going to run the mission when it comes down to it because the superiors think he's too old also. The hell, man. And then just like at the end, right before the mission, the guy comes up and he's like, guess what? We decided to let you run the mission. It's like he even gets that. Everybody just gets what they want. One, everything just seems to work out. It feels like there's a couple different ways that this movie could have been more interesting, and just like giving context to anything would have done it, and they just gave it to nothing. Yeah, they gave it to the helicopters because they just wanted you to yeah. just see them up there flying around. The budget for this movie was $22 million. I feel like 12 or $15 million of that was just helicopter expenses. <laughs> yeah, just... And then the rest, of the, the rest of the money just went to everything else. There are a couple of cage connections that I want to cover, and we're, we sort of... We haven't really finished the movie, going through the movie yet, but there's a couple things in the middle of the movie that are real cage connections to other things we've watched. The first one, and it's something that we've seen time and time again... Cage is a real suave dude who gets all the ladies. Mm. And we were talking about earlier about how Billy sort of doesn't mind that he's around. But when they're both on this training exercise, there's this great montage where they go back and forth. And they're just, it's all like sex and flying puns. 
back and forth, back and forth. As forward observer, I can find a target and get coordinates to you fast. Let's talk about us instead. No, this is important, Jake. To prevent radio detection, we're set up with ATHS direct to your video display. I've got a display of your tail that is just mind-boggling. Think of us scouts as extensions of your own sight in the air. Hmm, I think I like that. You only have eyes for me. <laughs> you will need reconnaissance going into battle, Jake. For example, with our laser designator, we can paint your target while you're hidden in some canyon, so you can nail it from cover without ever being seen. I'd love to nail it. In an emergency, it's possible to distract the adversary or temporarily blind him with the laser. Watch this, Breaker. Let's get serious. Jake, where are you? I remember you liked me on top. Jake, you've still got your brains in your cockpit. That's because it's easier to fly that way, honey. Loaded and ready to fire. Jake, we've both been there before when those guns just didn't go off. Don't worry about that, baby. <laughs> so how about that drink tonight? Man, you never let up, do you? Jake, let's get hold of ourselves. I've got a hold of myself. Good, then you don't need me. Have fun with yourselves, boys. Billy? Where'd she go? You try and catch me, Jake. That darn girl disappeared, Breaker. Yeah, it looks like she's got you, buddy. She sure does, Breaker. She sure does. Sort of fitting back in like the, with the movie for kids, like it, it almost is like PG rated. Like they never really get super graphic about anything. Yeah, like the worst they really get with that is like keep it in your pants. You know, like that's how I feel. Like the gratuity level of this movie is at. You know, they don't want it to be too explicit. So. All the metaphors are helicopter metaphors <laughs> instead of, you know, yeah. I'm not talking about your ass. I'm talking about the tail on your helicopter. Very clever. It's all very, like... It's all very tame, right? Like, yeah. yeah. The next cage action that I saw was when... We, we mentioned it earlier when he's in the supermarket. Tommy Lee Jones is there in a supermarket with a baby. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, raising Arizona, yep. like, you know, H.I. McDonough coming tearing through with a bunch of dogs just trying to rob some diapers. That's a good one. But the biggest... And the most mind-blowing Cage connection of all happens right before a montage where Cage and Billy compromise each other. But the craziest Cage connection is that for the second movie in a row, and the third of the last four, Red Sports Car. I lost my mind. (laughs) I lost it. It was such a... Oh, it was so great. What a... Man, what a treat. As we talked about last week, in Never on Tuesday, he's man in Red Sports Car... And then when a red sports car popped up in Wild at Heart, we came up with this theory, or this really sort of more like a hope than a theory, that a red sports car would show up in all of his movies. And then the next movie, he's just driving a red sports car. And like in a movie about helicopters, like there's no way I would have ever imagined this to happen. So like I was just so excited when it popped on screen. It's craziness. It makes me want to go back and rewatch the movies we watched <laughs> to see if there are other red sports cars. Like I know that it's not going to be in the boy in blue because that's in the 1800s and it's not going to be in the cotton club and stuff. But there's a lot of possibility that we might have just missed red sports cars. I don't think we did, but it's just it's spooky to see this sports car pop up again 
in episode after we talked about how we hope it's in every movie. Yeah, like I, I last episode in Wild at Heart, you know, the the theories were flying wild because it was a David Lynch movie. So yeah, the, the concocting the the red sports car theory came out of that episode. But I I have such high hopes for for the rest of Cage Club to see it reappear time and time again. I hope it pops up in at least a couple more movies. I mean, I'm sure it will just because red sports car is not altogether uncommon for movies. But in a Cage movie, it's just it's it's exactly what I want to say. Yeah, it's just so cool because like we've started like I wasn't expecting us to be linking all of his films together like with the connections and stuff but since we've been doing it it's been a lot of fun so like I'm just glad that this is among the cage connections to look out for there are so many already but it's it's great so after we see the red sports car they have the compromising montage <laughs> 10 minutes later training is over and they're going to go take out the cartel they were just like on the same page they're they're compromising one another or they're having sex with one another and then all of a sudden they get into the biggest fight they have in the movie because Cage doesn't want her, Billy, to do her job. I want to talk to you before I leave. I've got a lot to do. We can talk on the flight down. What do you mean on the flight down? On the flight to South America. How the hell did that happen? I asked and AK cleared it. They allowed you to go into combat? I don't believe I'm hearing this. Billy, wait a second. Well, you think it's fine for me to be a pilot as long as there's nothing at stake? But a dangerous mission, no way. That's only for men. Thanks, Jake. I have my orders. Why is it so hard for you to understand that I just don't want you to get hurt? I chose this career, and you, my friend, are going to have to accept it. My friend! So that was like a very, I, I like that scene because we got conflict there, you know, there was tension for a second in this movie and immediately again, like it's gone. They have a problem, but they resolved it immediately and no time to fight because we're heading to South America to take out cartel. Yeah. And this was kind of weird. I didn't know what they were doing. They get down there like the day before and sort of set up in the middle of nowhere and like camouflage all their stuff. That's what's kind of happening. They go, they all get down there and it's just like war prep, oh, general yeah. war prep. Yeah, so they have like all their supplies. And then Tommy Lee Jones and Nicolas Cage are, are sort of talking about like the day before battle and smelling it in the air and all that kind of stuff when suddenly they're ambushed, right? There's like a sneak attack on them. They have to like rush like, to their choppers, right? They're like, rush to the choppers, get in the air. But like you don't really see people attacking. It just seems like there's like landmines everywhere. There's just like little explosions. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's just chaos. Yeah, and uh, you don't see or hear hear like any choppers or planes yet like we know that they've located okay so like they're in south america right because they've located this airstrip and what they've learned is that all of the important members of the cartel are meeting there it's like one of those like mob meetings from analyze this where they're like all meeting at the same location the dea knows that and that's what they've been training for so that's why they're down there so i guess they they knew they were coming or they anticipated the americans were going to be there i honestly don't have any idea like i don't think we ever really find out all that scene to me serves to do is set up the beginning of the the final conflict you know what i yeah. mean like it's like it's sort of energizing like all right here we go this is what we've been waiting for this is them against the cartel. 
This is Cage against the guy in the Scorpion helicopter. Best against best. I am the greatest. Let's do it. I think what we needed was like a scene or two from the cartel's perspective with Stoller sort of going like, you know they're coming after us with that guy. What's his, his call sign is Stinger, right? Cage? So like, I think so, yeah. So like he could be like, you know they're sending the American Stinger after us, right? We must be prepared. And, you know, we could have had like the cartel learning intel that, the Americans were here and we should go attack. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you and I are rewriting this to where, like, I think it would actually perform a lot better in theaters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's not bad. It's just, like, missing... Like, I don't know why it's so short. You know what I mean? Like, they, it's not like they cut things to make it, like, cut it down and save time. You can make it a little bit longer. Like, it's it feels too short and rushed. Add in a little bit of character development. Add in a little bit of conflict. And you have a movie that would be fun and would also sort of make sense with a plot that makes sense. Yeah, and it just feels like it feels like they stretched it with the chopper footage. You know what I'm saying? Like, we need to fill time. Uh, you think we already had enough chopper stuff? Like, we need to use all of it. They even reuse the opening shot in the end when they're flying down to South yeah. America. The one when with the silhouettes of the choppers in front of the setting. But sun. I mean, it's, it's a gr- it's a great shot. It, it's a beautiful shot, but they use it twice in the movie. And <laughs> it's like a La Bamba situation where they're like, "We have this great, we, we have this great piece of art. We got to use it as many times as we possibly can." <laughs> Pretty much. So yeah. Just the, you know, I think if we had the rival pilot, a little more with the girlfriend, something more conflict with the flight instructor, and then just a couple scenes with, with uh, the cartel, like, this this movie would be, like, aces instead of just, like, you know, mediocre. Like, it seems like that's not that much, but you also just listed, like, four or five things. They kind of need a lot of help in a lot of places. <laughs> but it's, like, kind of the obvious, right? Like, it's, it's it seems like a lot, but it's really just these little things that the movie's asking for it already. That's the way it comes across to me. You know, it felt like someone maybe maybe they just ran out of time with the screenwriting or maybe they're just not strong enough screenwriters. Uh, you know, there could have been a 100 problems. Like I said, maybe they had to take out characters because they wanted more helicopters. I don't exactly know. It's fun to speculate, but that's Firebirds. I mean, that's pretty that's pretty much the whole movie. Yeah. Oh, well, I just wanted to mention one last thing that I thought was like, again, like this movie does like it's not the greatest, but it does sort of surprise you at moments. And I just that there's this great moment between Tommy Lee Jones and Sean Young in the final battle where Tommy Lee Jones is shot down and there are sort of these jets circling around and like gunning down at Tommy Lee Jones and Sean Young comes down and Tommy Lee Jones instructs her on how to put together a rocket launcher. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. And then she uses it to shoot down the plane. That was really cool. You know, you could tell they had ideas and they were almost there. They were really close. But I feel like that also that scene also proves that none of the people you know are really going to die <laughs> because there's no way that either of them survived that professional helicopter pilot or stealth bomber pilot shooting down like there there's no cover yeah. like they're just out in the open pretty much <laughs> no you're right <laughs> and they both live through it and i think that'll do it that'll do it um, operation firebird was a success and operate yeah so the, the name of the movie like the operation firebird is what <laughs> is what it's called for them to take out the cartel yeah. so in case you were wondering who are the firebirds and what is a firebird that's what yeah, it is. And, and all the cartel is arrested in the end so we won the war on drugs it's over guys there's no more drugs <laughs> so next time on cage club we have zandali which I'm honestly a little bit worried about because we had to get the Chinese imports mm. because it's just not available. Like, it's a Region Zero. It should play, but it's... 
a crazy movie that I don't know what it's about at all. The American and version the, is like out of print, so it's like like a hundred dollars or something like that on DVD. So and the Chinese imports like nine bucks. So I mean, like it's a real sort of grab bag. I don't know what we're gonna get, but I'm sort of I'm cautiously optimistic every time we go into one of these cage movies, and none have really let me down yet. So he will be reunited with longtime Fred Judd Reinhold. Ooh. So here we go, Brad's pal, <laughs> Brad's Brad Brad's 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 Brad. I'm sorry, and Brad reunited. Back, back, back. I think they're in New Orleans, too, so they were there. I might have that completely wrong, but they're there for Wild at Heart, and he'll be back for Bad Lieutenant. So I think it's in New Orleans, but we'll find out next time on Cage Club. Head to cageclub.me for everything about the podcast. You can find out how to follow us on Twitter. You can find out how to subscribe to the podcast. You can read our reviews. We do written reviews for each of the movies as well. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on Cage Club. Yeah. You like history? No. You better start like Hank, because we're about to make it. I am the greatest.